The Academic Podcast Agency. My name is David Attenborough and I'm a broadcaster. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've read in your biography that um, a favourite book of yours when you were younger was The, the Malay Archipelago um, by Alfred Wallace. Reading about those types of texts as a boy, what did they mean to you, this idea of naturalists and, uh, and the adventures that they had? Oh, Wallace um, was simply that, uh, the excitement of going to foreign parts and seeing remarkable things and, and what's more, seeing them for the first time, which is sort of a, a slightly childish thing, uh, but, um, but nonetheless, <laughs> I was a child. Um, and the thrill of exploring jungles and meeting, you know, half-naked savages and going where no white foot had trod, that sort of stuff. Um, but also, I think, really, um, the revelation, the thought of somebody going and seeing all these extraordinary kinds of animals, forms of animals, the, the luxuriant, uh, the, the huge uh, variety and extravagance of nature which you see in the, in the tropics. Do you feel it inspired you with a sense of adventure that you still have now? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. I mean, you know, an eight-year-old has a sense of adventure, and when you're 88-year-old, um, you've done a lot of those things. I mean, you've done silly things, and you've done uh, taken risks to, to, to a minor degree, um, and you've um, gone to places where uh, nobody speaks the language you speak and so on. Um, and so um, you've done those things, um, and I think it would be uh, untrue to say that you were still as thrilled about it as you were then. You aren't the person you are then. I mean, you hadn't got those experiences. And um, and so, um, well, I'm, you know, I'm an old man. I mean, I'm, um, next year I'm 90. So um, uh, the... the the, the the thrills you get are different. The thrills you get um, come from actually understanding, to some degree, some of the things that go on, so that you you know when something is remarkable, um, not simply because you haven't seen it before and it's rather strange-looking. Uh, and those are different kinds of excitements. And, and from this place of, of being 90 years old next year, um, how important do you feel it is to share what you've learned with, with younger generations? Oh, I think that's rather rather pious, really. Um, that, that I'm, uh, you know, one's reminded of Cecil B. DeMille, wasn't it, who said, do your films carry messages? And he said, when I want to send a message, I use Western Union. And I think there's something in that. Um, and I, uh, I, I think my... Films carry an implicit message. But occasionally, of course, I make films with explicit messages. I mean, programmes like How Many People Can the Earth Hold uh, make it fairly clear what line you're taking. But um, my bread-and-butter films, as it were, the things I've done more or less continuously for the last uh, however many years it is, uh, are simply hoping to show people uh, what the world is like and how rich it is and, and the wonderful things that are in it. I gather from listening to other interviews with you that you um, you have a certain dislike for the idea of yourself as a celebrity. Oh, well, only because it's a celebrity as it is in, in current usage. It's a fairly tawdry concept. Uh, I mean, um, anybody who's a celebrity appears enough. 
for whatever reason. I mean, criminals, uh, celebrities, um, um, simply because they appear on television. Um, and uh, while um, sort of dismissing it like that, I've got to say that it's, it is slightly mysterious, you know. I mean, after all, if, if, I, um, if I had, um, age 12, been told that, say, Gary Cooper or some Hollywood star like that had appeared in Leicester, I would have thought there have been the sort of second coming. I mean, I would have certainly dashed down to see, and I would have certainly, talk about Hem of Raymond or, or his signatures or whatever, I mean, I would have been starry-eyed and baffled and, and thrilled. Um, well, now, I suppose, I uh, must be as widely known, uh, or my face must be as familiar as Gary Cooper's face was. Um, but um, it's got nothing to do with merit or, or achievement or anything. It's just that you are familiar and you're meeting someone for the first time. I mean, and so well, that's nothing to be proud of. How about where I was actually going with the question is that um, I'm interested in who we who we choose to lead us, who we choose to listen to. And um, I think it was 2012, uh, you were voted one of the trusted, most trusted men in the UK. Well, that's illusory. I mean, that's just... Um, and you, can, you could say, I mean, if you want to denigrate, and, um, uh, and, why, and one should every now and again, um, that simply means that I uh, have been rather skillful at uh, avoiding controversy. Um, and um, I have been, I mean, I'm, I've, I feel shifty about that. Um, and, uh, but in, in, during my BBC career, um, however, it was a sine qua non. I mean, the, 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 if you were in charge of hours of broadcasting in the, every year, uh, or indeed every month, um, then it was... Uh, um, a matter of principle to BBC people that they had no opinion. They were technical people who were responsible for getting people who had opinion, who had authority, and giving them the facility uh, to use television to get that view over. But it was not your view, um, and that was a very strict thing. Um, and uh, I, I perhaps uh, have st stuck by that, or did stick by that, after I'd left the BBC, when I was no longer responsible for that, the habit of being, of avoiding controversy and not saying anything unless you're absolutely sure of the, of the truth of what you're saying, stuck with me. I'd like to talk about the um, Obama interview, just, just briefly. So, Obama, um, I loved the interview. I thought it was very, very fascinating. Um, he was very quick to, um, it seemed to me, to to make a statement during that interview that of two things, that yes, um, climate change was real, and two, um, that the answer to it is a financial one, um, and that it's about strong economies and strong jobs. I wondered if you had any thoughts about that and, and what you think the president's biggest challenges are in trying to reconcile that, that promise of a growing economy with a reduced carbon Future. Oh, well, that, that requires a dissection of uh, the American um, government system of government, which I'm not able to undertake. I don't, I don't know enough about it. 
it's, but it's absolutely evident, is it not, to almost anybody, uh, that presidents, although they appear to be uh, omnipotent, simply aren't. I mean, they have uh, the Senate to deal with, and uh, and there are lots of other factors they have to deal with, and so they can't. Then they don't have freedom of action that you thought they might have. Um, and certainly, um, it's absolutely clear that Obama has failed to get through uh, some of his most <coughs> cherished policies. Uh, simply because of the American system of government. Um, I have no doubt at all that he is profoundly convinced about the importance of conservation, about the dangers of climate change and so on. Um, and what can he do about it, is the question. And whenever he wishes to do something which in any way appears to um, uh, affect the American economy badly, so that you spend more money doing those sort of things which don't have an immediate return, uh, he's, he's blocked. Um, the whole reason that, the, uh, that that interview took place is still rather mysterious to me. I mean, I was told that, um, that uh, the President of the United States had enjoyed my programs and there was a new one coming on and he'd love to see it. And if I'd like to visit him in the West House, I, in the White House, I, uh, he'd, he would like to meet me. So, I mean, that's an extraordinary compliment. So, of course, I said yes, and I'm given an airline ticket. I didn't know until we arrived that it was going to be filmed. Um, and, um, and so the whole thing was really rather mysterious. Um, but um, if you're cynical, and, and why should one not be, uh, you might say that, well, he's looking for the fact that in 18 months' time he will cease to be the President of the United States, which is their system. I mean, they don't, he can't, he's not eligible for another term. Um, and so it could be that he's putting up a flag to internationally to say, I am interested in conservation, you know, any office. Who knows? I don't. You mean for work? His well, to, to to do something. I mean, uh, I don't suggest he's groveling for a job, but he 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 might like a, a post somewhere where dealing with the problems of conservation and the health of the world, um, uh, where he can do something. Let's hope so. I mean, he's a very charismatic man. Yes, very. And, yeah. and he was very generous to me, very nice to me. Was there any parts of the interview um, which you felt should have been included, which, which weren't there when you no, watched it No, it was almost in all that. It was after all 20 minutes. <laughs> it was just 20 minutes? Well, maybe 25, but I mean, uh, it, was, it was fleshed out with, with certain amount of documentary stuff about me, which was irrelevant. But, but uh, I think every, almost every word he spoke with that. What was the present that he gave you? I saw at the end there was a uh, little bit... A <laughs> White House tie. A White House tie. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of voices in the environmental world about indigenous groups and about the um, position that they found themselves in as being the uh, holders of these much-coveted um, lands which, which have a lot of um, different natural resources that people want to get their hands on. Um, there was a, the recent book by Naomi Klein, um, This Changes Everything, um, she writes this, this statement, which I just wanted to read out, which is, In no small way, the actions of Indigenous peoples and the decisions of Canadians to stand alongside them will determine the fate of the planet. I wondered if you had any thoughts about this idea of Indigenous groups having such an ecological responsibility. Um, yes. Um, uh, the first thing to say is that actually, um, uh, the hope... I have for the future 
which will solve all these problems and which you haven't actually mentioned in the question is that um, if we can it, well putting it simply is that we can produce um, energy from renewable resources um, cheaper than carbon-based stuff and if you do that uh, at a stroke you will solve these problems such as the tar sands, fracking, diesel engines, all the rest of it. I mean, that will, it will go. It requires, of course, not, uh, not only the, the technology to produce the energy from renewables, but to store it and to try and transport it. Um, but if, if Americans can put a, a man on the moon in 10 years, I cannot believe that if you had an organized plan uh, of all the developed nations to develop say, 2% uh, of their research budgets, which are already being spent on scientific research, into a, a focused and carefully prepared plan over 10 years to solve those problems of, of, uh, of, of storage and transport and, and, uh, and capture. Uh, that, that can't be done. I'm sure it could be done, if it were. And that proposal... Um, is, was put forward to the G7 just, just recently. The embarrassment I had in talking with Obama was that I knew those proposals and I knew them in some detail. Um, and I had had that the day I left for America, I had got it in my bag, which I, took with, which I read on the plane. Um, and I, 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 the problem is that it, it was embargoed for two weeks after I had done seeing Obama. So I was not allowed to, to speak. But um, I tried to articulate them in more detail, but he was interviewing me, not I interviewing him. And, and uh, he, he slid past it, so I was not able uh, to propose them into the, into the details I would have wished. Um, but I believe that, that that in the end is the only way we're going to get over these problems. I mean, we have to do it eventually because... because carbon's going to run out, carbon source energy. So why don't we do it now? And that would solve all the problems that we're talking about. Hmm. Um, one of these climate economists that I um, interviewed for this, for this programme um, mentioned well, his belief that it would take 100 years to decarbonise the economy. Well, that, that, well uh, to, to de decarbonise totally, perhaps... Um, but I don't. But, but the source of energy, with once you get the the storage problem solved, I don't believe that is a true a true estimate at all. Okay, so um, the way that people have understood what the natural world is um, has changed so much during your professional career, um, the last sixty years years plus. Can you ex are you able to explain why that is? How is it how has it changed, and, and why do you think that process has taken place? Uh, our perception of the natural world. Well, if if that's the if that's the subject, I, um, there's no point in being falsely modest. Um, uh, television um, about natural history must have been responsible for that. I mean, you can't get audiences of 10 million, which we did in not so long ago, for a natural history programme in this country alone. Um, someone has 
produced a statistic to say the series I did in 1980 uh, um, had been seen by 500 million people. I don't actually believe that statistic. I don't know how on earth you could calculate such a thing. But, but it was certainly seen by a lot of people. And, and the fact is that people are now better informed about, um, simply about, Oh, carpies and uh, birds of paradise and uh, coral fish uh, uh, and antelope and, and so on, all better than they've ever, ever been, ever been, ever been. Um, and that must be a good thing. Um, but with that, I, one hopes that somehow they will also get some understanding of the play in which, uh, the place in which humanity plays in, in, uh, in the ecosystem. Uh, and how we are totally dependent upon uh, the natural world for every breath we breathe and every mouthful of food we eat. Um, and um, people understand that, actually. Um, and I get a very heavy mail, or heavy, as far as I'm concerned, I hope it doesn't get any heavier, um, of people who are saying that. We understand it. But then, mind you, they also say, well, why don't you do more about it? You personally, I mean, uh, the reality of the politics is, escapes them, but the but the truth of what's happening about more people appear living on the planet than ever before is absolutely clear to them. And when you say, look, since we started television, since I was working in television uh, when I started in the, in the 50s, the population of the Earth has th increased three times. Well, the people can understand. They understand that. They understand what it means. It's a huge increase, that, isn't it? Unbelievable. Mm. And it's going on, what's more. But people have um, intensely emotional responses to your work. Um, I just wondered if that's something that you, in the writing of the, the script, whether that's something that you set out um, to achieve, to have, make people have an emotional as opposed to a, an intelligent response. My... Uh, I... I would debate as to whether emotion and intelligence are actually uh, <laughs> in conflict. But um, I, I, there's an, if you took a script of mine, you wouldn't find much emotion in it. There aren't many adjectives in my scripts. Um, they, are, uh, they are scripts which do produce words, the minimal words necessary to understand what you're looking at is my ambition. Um, and I... Um, except on very few occasions in which I quite deliberately have sort of uh, flagged that they are those kind of occasions, I have never put my, my emotional uh, reactions into, into, the, into words uh, uh, on a script, on a commentary. Um, <clears throat> so a phrase that um, is used a lot by, uh, certainly by academics, but I think it's probably more and more of a, a popular phrase, is this idea of a global village. Um, I just wondered, for a man that has travelled so extensively throughout your, your life and met so many different people in so many different places, um, what you make of this, this term, a global village, and also what hopes you think there are for us to be able to cooperate with all of our neighbours at the same time? 
Well, I don't know about our ability to cooperate, uh, our ability to, to communicate, which is not the same thing, uh, or indeed to be aware of, which is also not the same thing. Those two things have certainly increased beyond imagination over the last 30 years. Um, I mean, you uh, you go into a wild part of northern Kenya to try and find some really remote place, and a chap turns up and takes out a mobile phone from his from his pocket, and he's on the email, he's on uh, on the net, um, and um, I mean, the world has become totally aware. I don't say necessarily uh, in aware in the sense they understand what's going on, but they know there's a heck of a lot going on out there and uh, beyond them. Um, and um, so that has transformed things, uh, and, uh, both, I suppose, good and bad, but, but it certainly transformed things. Another conversation that I had with my uh, climate economist, um, the environmental movement and what he terms as radical greens, um, as actually being more harm than good. His line of reasoning is that um, they make a lot of noise, but they don't do a lot of good in achieving changes in policy, and that effectively they polarise the, um, the conversation and they make it a them and us situation, when in actual fact with climate change there is only us. I don't think that's an argument, I think it's a fair statement. Um, and um, that kind of gross polarisation uh, doesn't help any controversy. Um, and it's a pity that it, it occasionally, in certain circumstances, has to be focused in which it's either black or white, whereas we all know that the world is composed of, 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 of tone in between the two. Um, and um, radical... Uh, I think the thing one most deplores is when uh, the, the radical... Uh, uh, greens um, go for emotion and not logic um, and uh, that's very dangerous uh, to uh, destroy uh, huge fields of, of planting by Mothenstead or wherever else where scientists are trying to research the implications of genetic change in crops um, is to be totally deplored um, and it is uh, it's like the burning of the books. You were quoted, um, or I've read in, in one of the many interviews that you've given, that uh, real change can only come through our economics and our politics. Mm. Um, am I allowed to ask who you voted for in the uh, last election? Who I voted for? Mm. And what I voted for in the last election, well, I didn't have much of a choice here, but I did, in fact, um, vote Liberal. Would you um, ever consider voting for a Green Party or for a, an environmental movement? I think the voice of a, 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 an environmentalist would be very valuable in the House of Commons and as a voice that ought to be heard. Um, and it, um, it is an important insight, an important attitude to the natural world that should be heard when people are debating things that affect the natural world to the degree which they do. So I'm very glad that Carolyn Lucas is back in Parliament and uh, I'm delighted. Um, and in fact, we have uh, uh, here, um, um, we have Rothschild um, and he is, I respect what his view on the, on, on the natural world is very much. He's, and he's very, 
It's very powerful in what he says. I mean, he says it very well, and I think his voice should be heard. I don't necessarily agree with all the things he says, um, but, um, but I think he's a useful contributor to the debate. How much agency do you think the individual has in responding to climate change as opposed to the responsibility of, of governments? Well, I think there's a continuum, um, and, uh, and it would be terrible if there was a schism between those two things. I mean, go actions of governments should be reflecting the actions of change in the, in the electorate. Um, that's what democracy is about anyway. Um, and uh, the trouble is how, or not the trouble, the question is, is how informed can the electorate be? Um, and the answer is that it can't be all that uninformed, and that uh, so that uh, somewhere in the in the middle of that continuum, there has to be an equation in which someone says, "Well, I don't understand what he's talking about, but I think he's a good bloke." Um, and um, and that's not a bad basis on uh, for for democratic votes, because if you started to ask me about the complexities of economic theory, I will have to tell you I surrender. I don't I don't understand, and I could and, and uh, the the not even in in the area of my own. I was going to use the word expertise, but I'm far from expert. But in my own area of of, of conservation, um, there are complexities. They're not simple questions. Um, and you have to be persuaded in a democracy, presumably, uh, that the man you who give you entrust with power has the right sort of instincts and motives. Um, and um, the way you discover that is by debating him with them. But uh, an awful lot has to be taken on trust, or, or at any rate, on the basis that I think he's a good bloke. Or she. <laughs> It's so very true, that, isn't it? The power of charisma to actually uh, move things forward. Yeah. At the, um, at, there was a very lovely part at the end of the Obama interview um, where you said that the natural world is where you go in moments of celebration and moments of grief. It is the greatest prop and stay to humanity's own feeling for himself. Um, I thought that that was um, very lovely, and I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed hearing you say that. Um, left me wondering, do you think a reduced relationship with the natural world in the context that well over 50% of the globe are now urbanised, do you think that's altered us psychologically? Well, if it has, it's altered um, a, a great section of the human race for the past 200 years. Um, I mean, the Industrial Revolution, um, which is what, 200, how long, 250 years old? Um, produced a huge section of the British public who were totally out of touch with the natural world. Um, and, uh, and I can only say that I think that's an impoverishment for them personally, that, uh, as well as affecting their, their decisions as to uh, if, if, if indeed they had a, a say in what the politicians were doing. Um, but it is, a, it is a huge loss. Um, and uh, you feel it all the time, and you, you know, I come across it all the time, and people write to me and say you know, that uh, uh, in moments of grief, the only thing they find, is that the only solace they find is, is by, by going to the natural world, or indeed in, in putting on natural history programmes on the television. Um, and that must mean something to the psychologist, uh, uh, and I'm, I believe it to be the case that... Um, that, that, that it's difficult to be a fully rounded human being unless you have some kind of feeling of the natural world of which you are a part.